0: Good morning, Storyline. Happy New Year. My goodness, it's good to be together. Uh, How about, can I hear for the band, and especially Lindsay Marone on cello, right? So it's good to be uh, together. Uh, My family and I just got back from Los Angeles, where I had the opportunity to prove to my family that I am indeed Mighty Whitey. I actually did not do this one time when I was out there, but uh, I thought about it quite a bit. But we, we were out there. We celebrated Christmas. Uh, my daughter is training to, um, for her beach volleyball season that came up, so we loved it there. And as much as my wife and I loved living there for eight years, and we miss the people, we miss our friends, we miss the food, we miss the culture, the traffic is insane. It's, it's like indescribably nutty right? So much so that our children, Jimmy and Jenna, were cracking up at how much all of our Californian friends are constantly talking about the traffic, like in directions and how you get from here to there. And and now I didn't notice this at all. And when they pointed this out to me, like, dad, you guys, everybody's always talking about like how to get from here to there. And um, I guess for me, having lived out there for so long, It's just like a natural part of what it is to live in Southern California. So I was like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I'm not noticing this at all. So to prove to me how bizarre this is that Southern Californians are like this and how much everybody else notices it, uh, they shared this video with me. Okay, now to be honest, (laughs) they were playing, there's a bunch of these skits. I guess Saturday Night Live has a ton of these. And uh, I had never seen them before. And my family just thinks they're hilarious. I did not think they were that funny, to be honest, okay? But they are super familiar because this is the conversation that happens with friends and family in Southern California. They're obsessed with directions and with the best, the easiest, the fastest way to get from where we are to where we want to be. And as I was thinking about that, it totally reminded me of what we've been talking about together the last couple of months. As we've come back together indoors, And in person, we've been looking at some of the reasons that storyline, the hows and the whys, that storyline started in the first place. At the same time, we've been considering how and why Jesus got started in his public ministry. And he did so in a talk that we now know as the Sermon on the Mount. It's, It's arguably the most famous talk ever given in the history of the world. And in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, there's a short like introductory section, which, which is now called the Beatitudes. And this is about a dozen verses in, in Matthew chapter 5 that we've been looking at now since the beginning of November. and We've been exploring this together. And while there are lots of ways to frame the Beatitudes, like how to look at them and what we should be trying to get out of them, we've been looking at them as if they're a map, Right? Not a list of things to do in order to get something or to earn something from God. Not goals to accomplish with the reward or some gift or some treasure on the other side. But really more like a way of life. A direction to turn toward to become who we really want to be. And the way that we've put it is to live a life of love and to love the life we live so this is what we've been doing the last couple months together. And this morning, we're going to take um, the long way home, which we do from time to time. Um, and, and that's just my code to you for this is going to take me a minute to get to, to, get to where we're headed, right? And, and, I've, but, and I've been, frankly, I've been told not to do this by a couple of professional speakers and more than one pastor. But here's what I've learned about Storyline is that um, we don't like to be spoon-fed here. We like to think. We're not after easy answers. In fact, really what we're after more as a community is maybe some new questions to think about. And so um, before we get going into Jesus' sixth beatitude, which is this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, I want to spend a little bit of time setting this up because I I think this beatitude actually can be a great guide for us and maybe just the exact map that we need as we enter into 2022. And by the way, just saying that date out loud is just crazy, right? Like, it sounds like science fiction to me. I can't help it. Like, in the year 2022. Like, it just feels like this is the beginning of a movie that we're in. And we're supposed to have flying cars by now or something, right? Like, colonies on the moon. And none of that's true. Um, it's supposed to be this year when I think of this, it feels so far into the future, it's supposed to be some type of a utopian super era that we're living in by 2022. And I know we all know it ain't that, right? So uh, still, I do love the first Sunday of every year because especially when it comes early in the week like this because we still have so much hope, right, for this year, right? Like it's only January 2nd, almost all of our resolutions are still intact. So for example, I'll just use my house. There's already been exercise this morning, right? Most of us are going to go home. We're going to have that kale salad for lunch and then clean our junk drawer out. And here we are, look, January 2nd, and we're already made it to church. So 2022 is like, right? It's off to an awesome start. Awesome, yeah. But I think we know there's going to be no flying cars this year. This is not going to magically be like this super uh, futuristic utopia. Um, we're a long way from having figured things out. And I know that we know that. In fact, here's one of the things that I've noticed in the last few years. I talked about this a few years ago when I noticed all these zombie movies coming out. Um, right? And this, all these TV shows and movie after movie. Um, but have you noticed that for every futuristic, like, utopian story, there are about 10 dystopian stories, as in a dysfunctional future. Now, these are some of my favorite. You're going to recognize some of these titles. Maybe some of them you won't. This Station Eleven is a new one. It's on HBO right now. It actually takes place in in the Great Lakes. It's about a group of folks that travel around Lake Michigan every year. They do a circuit. And so it's really super fascinating. It's on HBO right now. And some of them are older. Some of them are really old. But um, as much as I have always liked this, this genre, if you will, like a, a dystopian tales of the future, I've been blown away by the demand in America for stories like this. Like It's like we cannot get enough of them, right? Like these visions of the future where something horrible has gone way wrong. And like zombie alien tyrants using artificial intelligence now rule a world flooded by global warming. It's just like, you know, who can pile on more bad things into one story? And that's the one that we're the most interested in. And I can't help but think, can't help but wonder if maybe we're struggling to believe that the future could be better than the past. In fact, I was looking at a study this last week that says a growing percentage of Americans actually think that's true. In other words, they think that the future is going to be worse. Than the past. Last year, the most read article in the most read paper in the world, which is the New York Times, um, psychologist Adam Grant, who's actually one of my favorite authors, he wrote an amazing book, one of my favorite books that I read last year called Think Again. Um, he he wrote this is the most read article last year in America. And, and it says, There's a name for the blah that you're feeling. It's called languishing. The neglected middle child of mental health, it may be the most dominant feeling of 2021, right? And he describes languishing as the voice between depression and flourishing, the absence of well-being. Man, I, I read that. It just resonates with me so much. And I know from talking to so many of you, it resonates with more than just me. And I think the way that we might put this in our language, its storyline is languishing is not living a life we love. It's, it's not loving the life we live. Much like this youngster in the nursery that we're hearing this morning, right? <laughs> we know how you feel. <laughs> bring, that, bring her in here right now. Anyway, um, but this, is, this isn't just a contemporary issue. It's not just a contemporary thing. I mean, we think that all these uh, zombie tales and all these dystopian tales are new, they're really not. Dystopian tales have been with us for a very long time. They've resonated very deeply in different eras of time. And if you're someone, for example, um, who fears like, that the government could grow and grow in its power to control more and more of our life, even down to our DNA, and like, try to redefine what it means to be human, well, we've got a movie for you. It's called Gattaca. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. It's a really good film, and this will resonate with you. On the other hand, if you're someone who fears, like, the total breakdown of society, like, civilization is going to just melt down, we're going to have anarchy, then there's the old classic, like, The Road Warrior, Mad Max, right? Might be your flavor of dystopia. But the point is this. The story we see ourselves located in, often really what it's doing is indicating what we fear most. And then, that dictates what we look for and what we see in life, right? Because I think different people resonate with different kinds of dystopian tales. One of my favorite shows is um, Doomsday Preppers. And all these people are doing different things on Doomsday Preppers. But one of the things that I love about that show is you ask them, why are you prepping for doomsday? And they're all doing the same thing every week. But each one has a different dystopian future. I believe there's going to be an electromagnetic you know, solar flare or a nuclear war or you know, they all have this. It's going to come about a different way. So dystopian future, imagining the future as worse than today, is, is it goes way, way back. We still struggle with it today. I think one of the most famous dystopian stories Uh, is George Orwell's 1984. A lot of us read that in high school. It paints a bleak picture of a future when the government has just grown in power and in size. It's referred to as Big Brother. A lot of us have heard that. Anytime someone references Big Brother's watching you, it's a reference to 1984. And this book gets mentioned a lot by the talking heads on TV. Because if there is anything that unites America right now, it's this. Both sides in our culture war believe we are located in this story. Both sides agree on that, that Orwell's dystopian future is the one that we're living in, both Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives, people on Fox and people on MSNBC. This is the one thing everyone can agree on, apparently, and it's this. They, They could all say this. If they, if the other side, if they ever get control, oh my gosh, they'll become big brother, totally tyrannical, and they will destroy everything America stands for. And it's just one disaster scenario after another, depending on what channel you're watching. And it's over and over and over. And it paints this pretty grim picture, 1984 does. And you have to admit, when you turn on the TV, when you pick up a newspaper, there's a lot going on in the world that seems to kind of confirm that maybe this is what's going on. The enemy, the problem with life, is out there. It's them. That's the problem. It's the other side. That's the thing, I think, ironically, that, sh- that unites all of America right now. And this is exactly and precisely where Jesus comes in with this beatitude all the Beatitudes really, and I think throws a wet blanket on all the division and polarization in our country. Uh, And I say wet blanket because not only do the power brokers on both sides want and need there to be a culture war, they do. Both sides, both channels, both both, uh, all of the political power brokers, they want this kind of division and polarization for their own power and prestige and their own wealth, they're cooking up division like meth. That's how I think of it. But, but this, is the, this is the problem. Like meth, this is a demand-driven division. And we are addicted, in some sense, to polarization. I, I really believe this. Our country is now addicted to polarization. We all, in some sense, and I'm very much including myself on this, we all want there to be a culture war. And this is my little theory on this. Here's why I think this is true. Here's why I think this is so tantalizing. When these, you know, when when these divisions, these leaders of division are cooking up division and trying to push it on us. We're tempted to accept it because... That means the cause of my languishing, the, the, the cause, what's, what's, what's holding me back and holding me down is you. It's them. It's out there. The enemy is out there. It's the system. It's the pandemic. And, and I'm not suggesting that we don't have real problems. We all know that we do. Uh, um, but what if the heart of the problem that we face all of us the source of our languishing isn't out there what if it isn't out there what if our problem begins in here and it's not embodied in some enemy but emanating from our own hearts now this is really challenging it's a really challenging message, but this is, I think, what Jesus shows up, and in the very opening words of his first talk, this is what he seems to be suggesting. Look, I was just telling a new storyliner on Friday that languishing describes not just like how I know a lot of us feel. It describes how I feel a lot of the time. My theme for 20 and 21 was find the bad guy. Like, who's who is the scapegoat for me? And there were plenty of candidates, right? Some of them are in this room. <laughs> there are lots of people that I wanted to blame for my languishing. There are lots of organizations and movements that I was like, if they would just get their act together, then, well, then what, Mike? Then I would be magically delicious. Like, what was I thinking, right? Right? But here's what's happened to me since we've been back together in person, since we've been um, indoor, in person, and really getting to connect again, especially as we've been exploring Jesus' Beatitudes this last couple months. Because he he has changed the story I see myself in through these Beatitudes. And I've been infused with a lot of hope. And I know I'm not alone because I hear from so many of you every week and I know that this is spreading now. This hope as Jesus has turned our attention away from scapegoating and away from blaming others and towards a deeper consideration of ourselves. Because that is very clearly the theme of all the Beatitudes taken start to finish. It's like, wait a second, maybe it's time to look in the mirror. And this, and this morning, in this sixth beatitude, we see this happening again when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, there is something Jesus is suggesting about being pure in heart that will lead us toward seeing God. Something about that. Now, this morning, instead of focusing on whatever it means to see God, because I think we can all agree that on any map that leads us towards seeing God, like, that's a good one, okay? We could spend forever just on this beatitude. But where I'd like to kind of drill down is on this idea of pure in heart, on that idea. What is this way of life, this way of seeing life that Jesus is inviting us to step into? And again, as always, and this is so important uh, for us to remember, I'm not asking this question this morning so that I can answer it for us, okay? We're not trying to end any conversations here. We're trying to begin conversations. This beatitude alone could be the focus of our entire life's study, observation, meditation, and reflection, And so I'm not an expert, I'm a PE teacher, and I'm up here wondering out loud, hoping that it may help us to wonder together. But if the Beatitudes are a map, here's the thing about maps, okay? If you don't know where you're at, like where you're located on the map, the best map in the world can't get you where you're going. Right? You need to know where you are at on that map. Otherwise, the best map in the world cannot get you where you're going. And here's my theory. This is something I'm gonna throw out there this morning at us, okay? I think, generally speaking, modern Americans believe that we are located in Orwell's dystopian story of 1984. That's the assumption that we make, where the problem, the source of our languishing, is out there, and it's with them. I think that's the assumption that America is working on right now. So that is what we look for, and then that is what we see in life. All the problems out there. But on this first Sunday of 2022, I want to throw out another possibility. What if we aren't located in the story of 1984, but in another dystopian classic from the 20th century, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Now, this is a completely different story. In the Brave New World, the source of our, de- of our demise is not some external threat or an oppressive government or something bad being done to us by the immoral, selfish, evil, stupid people that have power. It's a completely different dystopian future, and it comes down to this in a brave new world. What would happen to us if we got exactly what we wanted? You see, 1984 is a dystopian story of tyranny. A brave new world is a utopian story of hell, our own self-made hell where we are languishing because we are stuck with ourselves. So maybe getting ourselves together in 2022 has something to do with locating ourselves in the proper story. Like getting a better look at a better location of actually where we are on this map of reality. That we call reality. Okay? And I'm throwing out the possibility that maybe we're not where we think we are. Okay? And I could be wrong. This is why I'm not trying to answer questions, I'm just trying to ask them. You might disagree with me. All right? But this is how one author describes the difference between these two very famous dystopian stories, 1984 and A Brave New World. And and as I read this passage from a Just an astounding book I'll talk about in a second. As I read this passage, uh, ask yourself this. Which story, 1984 or Brave New World, best describes our situation or our location on the map of reality? Okay? So here's the passage. Along Orwell's dark vision, alongside Orwell's dark vision, there was another equally chilling, Aldous Huxley's brave new world. Contrary to common belief, even among the educated, Huxley and Orwell did not prophesy the same thing. Orwell warns that we will be overcome by an externally imposed oppression. But in Huxley's vision, no big brother is required to to deprive people of their autonomy maturity in history. As he saw it, people will come to love their oppression and adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. What Orwell feared were those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book, for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much information that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture, preoccupied with some equivalent of the feelies. In 1984, this is just stunning, people are controlled by inflicting pain. In a brave new world, they are controlled by inflicting pleasure. And then this just blew me away. In short, Orwell feared that what we hate will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we love will ruin us. I I read that again because I read this book by uh, Neil Postman. It's called Amusing Ourselves to Death. That book is 40 years old. He wrote that 40 years ago, like 12, 13, 14 years before the first internet. It's stunning if you think about it. And it seems to me that Neil Postman nailed it, that he was really on to something, that he foresaw America thinks we're, we're headed towards 1984, but really we're headed towards a brave new world. Yet, yet we think, we assume, we act as if, and then we proceed into the future like we're located here, like in 1984. This is me trying to make a GPS map, okay? <laughs> that little blue dot that I stared at all last week in Los Angeles, like, where am I on this map? Oh, there I am, okay? We, we act as if, and then proceed into the future like we're located here in 1984. And to see God, to flourish, we have to go in this direction. Like, we have to get the right government. Gotta have the best leader. We have to have just policies smart laws, and that means that we must somehow get through them out there. They're the ones who stand in our way. That's why I'm languishing. There's somebody blocking me from flourishing because that is, you know, that's where we're at. We're in 1984, but what if we're not in 1984? What if that's not where we're located? What if we're way over here in a brave new world? That means to see God, that means to flourish, we have to go in the complete opposite direction, right? Not through them, but in and through our own hearts. What if this is the map that we're in? Now maybe you'll disagree with me, but I'm just throwing this out here for us to consider on this first Sunday of 2022. Because I'm I'm, I'm guessing this, that if we drag last year's map into this year, we're going to end up in the same place. It seems to me that this is what Jesus is suggesting. That, That at least to me, and it's been this surprising source of hope for me as Jesus, through the Beatitudes, has encouraged me to stop blaming and look at myself. This is what I hear Jesus saying to me as I come into this year. Mike, stop the blame game. If you're not seeing God, if you are not living a life of love and loving the life you live, if you're not flourishing, it's because you're stuck in the wrong story. It is not somebody else's fault. Your problem, Mike, is not out there. It starts in here. And like I said, this is a really challenging message. It's not like I'm up here telling you guys this and like I've got this down. This is as challenging to me as it is to anybody. But isn't it tragically ironic that having achieved, think about it, the peace, the stability, the wealth, and the power in this country that the world has never seen before, there's never been a country like this before, that the biggest threat to our way of life is not invasion from without, but implosion from within. The, the irony of that, it is just so tragically ironic, and that comes from this incessant blaming and shaming of one another. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that we live in a culture of contempt. We live in a culture of contempt. Northwestern University actually has been studying this, and they, what, here's what they did. They did a fascinating study of where is this coming from, And they um, coined a term to describe what's happening. And I love this. They call it motivation, attribution, asymmetry. And it's so common, it's so far flung in our culture, they, they say that almost all of us suffer from it, and this is what it is. It's the phenomenon of assuming that your perspective is based in love while your opponent's is based in hate. That your perspective is based in selflessness, whilst anybody who could dare to disagree with you is based in selfishness. Translation, my heart is pure, you're the problem. And in this beatitude, I think Jesus is just just putting his foot down and going, that's not the place to start. And tragically, the church is as much a part of this, we just have to admit this, the church is as much a part of this as any political organization. The church has chosen sides and lobs all kinds of shame and exclusion, just throws it all around our culture. And it's just sick. And as sad as this is, and it is, I think this presents us this peculiar little community that we know and love so much with an incredible opportunity as we move forward together in 2022. Look, everybody already knows that we're different. Some say weird. I prefer eccentric, okay? (laughs) But describe storyline however you will. But absolutely, one of the things that makes us different is our diversity. Now, we're not racially diverse. That's one of the things that we're hoping to grow into that. We're trying to work at that. But in basically every other way in our little community, we're incredibly diverse. And that means we're politically diverse as well. So listen, don't look now, but somebody in your row voted for the other guy. I promise you, somebody did. Don't look around. This is, and that is absolutely not true in the American church. It is not true in the American Church. It's not even close, depending on what denomination or what religion you're talking about, churches in America are split about 85, 15, one to not one political organization or party or perspective, versus the other. That's it. Everybody in there thinks the same politically, but that is not true about storyline. There's a lot of things weird about us, but this is one of the great weird things about us, is that we're basically like this 50-50 community when it comes to politics. And, and being a community, this, this diverse is so rare. It is, so, it is unheard of. It's unheard of. We have, in being like this, we have this incredible opportunity to hold out to both sides the reason that Storyline is a community like this, it's, because, it's not because we don't, it's not because we overlook our differences, we actually embrace our differences. And, and we can do that because we refuse to buy what the culture in Hollywood and media and academia and the church is selling, which is this. They're the problem. They, if you don't belong to us, they're the problem. Our side is motivated by love. Their side is motivated by selfishness. We refuse to buy that. And I think that's one of the things that holds us together as a community. We are a community based on and trying our best to live in and live out the grace of God. And that all begins with this. It all begins with this. It's not what we hate out there that's killing us that's leading us into a life of languishing. When we get stuck in life, when we are languishing, it is often because what we love in here is disconnected from God's love for us and God's love for all of his children. That's what we proceed from here. Now, maybe this is why Jesus, in a time and a place, much more contentious, much more divided, polarized, dangerous, and violent than ours, refused to choose sides in his culture war. He just refused to do it. Over and over and over and over and over again, he refused to take sides of all the little factions on the Jewish side and even on the Roman side. He would sometimes praise the Romans. He would sometimes tell them, give them the taxes that they're due. And he pointed people back to their own hearts to God's love and one another. That's what he did. Jesus was constantly crossing lines, mixing groups, bringing people of all different backgrounds together and, and, and perspectives together as if to say our cultural, societal, political problems we have, they're real, I'm not denying them, but they can only be overcome when we see ourselves as our biggest obstacle and we, and we see, and we start listening to and loving one another. Wow. What a dumb way to start the first Sunday of the year, right? <laughs> no, to me, that was really powerful. I hope it wasn't offensive to anyone. To me, I think both sides looked really gracious there. It was really incredible to see. And I think um, also really telling that we didn't see that on television, right? Didn't catch that on the nightly news, did you? But there's over 60 million views of that on YouTube. So I did a little reassessment of myself in my 2021 by asking this of myself. I watched this video and I was inspired. Like, is there, what can I learn? Like what's gone wrong? How can I grow? And so this is the question that I asked myself. What was I wrong about in 2021? what was I wrong about? Now, that is a long list, okay? My wife helped me out saying, thank you so much, Lisa. When we got to page three, I just kind of thought, you know, I'm not going to bore you guys with all the details other than to say I was wrong about the Lions winning the Super Bowl. That's not looking good, okay? But if we can't answer this question, like right now, if, if we can't say, oh, sheesh, gosh, in 2021, I was wrong about this, and I was wrong about that, and You know, I made all kinds, I made this assumption that I thought was true and then reality smashed into that and proved that wrong. If we can't identify anything from last year that we overreacted to or we underreacted to or maybe where our need to be right outweighed our desire to do right, how different is that than saying in 2021, I didn't grow, change, or learn a thing? I didn't grow, change, or learn a thing. The problems with my life are all out there. So I think it's important for us to, t- to take a second and do what these two groups did and really reflect on, maybe things aren't as simple as we think. Maybe we're not where we think we are on this map of reality. Because if we're in 1984, we will be looking for an external savior who has to deal with externalities, because the only threat we see is out there. And is is it any wonder then that religion, which points us inward, is losing ground in America, and politics, which points us outward, is gaining? One writer put it like this, our nation's increasing political zeal is fundamentally misplaced, Too many Americans are replacing religion with politics, and the false god of politics does not present the answer for what ails our hurting nation. What if this isn't 1984 that we're in? What if we're in a different story? What if we're in a brave new world where what we love, where what we desire, with what we want and long for is the actual threat? What if that's the reason we're languishing? C.S. Lewis had this chilling line that I read over and over because I think it's true, and it's such a good reminder for me, he said this, in the end, everyone gets exactly what they want. They do not always like it. Into all of this, into our real lives, walks Jesus. Blessed are not those who live in a society who has everything right and perfect, not those who oppose all the, all the wrong people and the bad guys, but those who have a pure heart, those who love love and understand what stands between us and our next step into this map isn't out there. It's in here. Maybe 2022 isn't the year where America or they or them or you finally and magically get it together. Maybe this is the year where we do our part by looking inward. Now, I'm not saying that anyone here is a bad person or that you or I are to blame for what's wrong with the world, I'm suggesting that since Jesus' time and even before, mankind has blamed and shamed and scapegoated others. And when God shows up, in his very first words, he invites us to look inward first. This beatitude is a great challenge for sure, but it's also an amazing chance to move from languishing to flourishing, from stock to hope. It's the invitation to, if you will, re-surrender to the God of grace and to see a different kind of future for us all.